Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. I said that I would start there, and so I will keep my word. Amen? I will do that. Well, bless his holy name forever. You know, when you're in the presence of God like this, you can just sit back and kick off your shoes and relax and just breathe it in. Just breathe in deep and just let the Spirit of God just change you from glory to glory. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I don't think words can express his love for us. Now, if you recall, this morning we were talking about the Father's love for you. And we said that the title of our sermon would be, The Father Loves You. Well, the Father does love us. Amen? We saw that God's ethnic division was divided up into three groups. The Jew, the uh, Gentile, or the Greek, and the Church of God. We saw the lengths that the Father went through, through Jesus Christ... To show his love for his own people, the Jews, and also to the world. The last three great miracles that he performed were miracles of healing. And then, of course, the last one being that he raised Je uh, up Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus up from the dead in the presence of many Jews, many of the rulers, so that they might believe on him as being the Son of God. He openly declared that he was the Son of God before them, yet they would not believe because of his word nor of his works. And it's a sad thing when somebody is raised from the dead in your presence that because of your religious and traditional ideas, you would disbelieve his word as to being the authentic son of the living God. But they did. But bless God, many of the Jews believed on him because of what they saw. And I'm sure, as I've stated this morning, that Lazarus gave his testimony. And you know that being dead for four days and being in Abraham's bosom and talking to the other prophets, it must have been one well of a testimony. Amen. I talked with Isaiah. I talked with Abraham. I bless God. I talked with Jeremiah. I talked with Daniel. I talked with the three Hebrew children and how they were in the line, they were in the fire furnace. And bless God, I talked with Amos and I talked with Ezekiel. And he went right on down talking with them all. You better believe when he came back into that body, boy, he, was, he had a testimony to tell. Well, Jesus didn't stop there. You know that's just a, a type of his being raised from the dead. Remember he said to, uh, Father Abraham said to uh, the rich man that died and went to hell, that even though a man were raised up from the dead, they still wouldn't believe. Remember, the rich man said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to tell my brethren about this place, lest they come here in these torments like I am. And, and he said, even though a man were raised up from the dead. And you know, to go a step further than Lazarus being raised from the dead, even though when Jesus was raised up from the dead, and the graves were opened, and the prophets that Lazarus talked to rose up from the grave, went into the city of Jerusalem, and spoke and declared that he was the living Son of God, they still would not believe. 
they still would not believe on him. Think about that. It's sad. As a matter of fact, well, I better read it. Elizabeth 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Don't you dare believe for a minute that Jesus did not go to the extreme to get these people to believe on him. As a matter of fact, let's verify that in the 12th chapter, verse 42 and 43. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. 12th chapter of John, 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So even the rulers believed on him, but would not openly confess and really believe on him. They believed that he was the Messiah to come, but they would not accept it or receive him. Isn't it a sad thing? Well, now here in the 13th chapter, the reason why I'm giving this to you out of the Gospel of John, almost in sequence, is because I want you to see now he begins to pick it up here. He did all that he could to break the hardness of their heart, to get them to see the Father's love for them. But they would not have him. And in this 13th chapter, in verse 1, the latter part of the verse now, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus loved his own unto the end. How far-reaching is God's love to us concerning us? It's unto the end. That's how far it is. It's unto the end. He went to the end with the Jews. He went all the way unto the end. What was the end? His death, burial, and resurrection. What more could the man do to get them to believe that he was the living Son of God? What more could he do? He went as far as to pour out his life and then to die for them and then be raised from the dead and they still wouldn't believe. In other words, there's nothing more he can do. Someone says, well, no, God just didn't want to save them. No. See, he wanted to save them. He didn't make them reject him. He wanted them to receive him. The Bible says in John 1, 12, that he came unto his own and his own received them not, him not. Now here it says his own, speaking of the disciples. He loved his own unto the end that the Lord gave him in the world, which were his disciples. Now, I think the best way we can describe that Jesus came to show the Father's love for his own. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, the 23rd chapter, in verse 37. Hold your place here in John and go back there in Matthew. 23rd chapter in verse 37. Jesus came unto his own, but his own received them him not. Even though he went all the way to the end, he loved them unto the end. All the way unto the end, Calvary, unto his death. No, Jesus still didn't stop loving them even though they refused to receive Him. Don't you remember His words on Calvary when He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? He still loved them. Even though they died and went to hell, He still loved them. Even though a man doesn't receive Him, He still loves them. See? Now look at here. This, is, this best describes the love the Father had for His children, for, for the Jews, let's say it that way. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. He came unto his own for this purpose, and his own received him not. And so the Father gave him those that were in the world, and Jesus kept them unto the end. 
And the next scripture tells us the consequence of their not receiving him. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. I think it best describes the attitude of the Jews. That even though the Father came in the person of Jesus Christ, God was personally manifest in Jesus Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, coming unto his own, and his own received him not, came to gather them together under his wings so that he could have a nation unto himself, a called out people, and bring them into the fullness of his love, but yet they would not receive him. He would have gathered them together, taken them under his wings, and protected them and cared for them and loved for them all the days of their life and, and evangelized the world through Jesus Christ, but they wouldn't have it, so their house was left unto them desolate. It's a sad thing to be left desolate when God the Father came to give you his all. It's a sad thing, but that's exactly where their hearts were. So we can't say that Jesus did not go into the end with anybody. He goes to the end. All the way into the end. He loves them unto the end. Now here in the 13th chapter, we go back to John. He begins to speak uh, about his love, the Father's love, concerning his children. Concerning those that would believe on him. Now I want to again reemphasize to you how much the Father loved these people even though they rejected him. How far-reaching His love was to them even though they refused to receive His Son. He still loved them. Jesus loved them and loved them and loved them unto the end. He kept pouring out His love and pouring out His love and pouring out His love and pouring out His love unto His death. Again, I said, you can't go any further than that. There's greater love hath no man than this. That's what Jesus said. I don't, there's no more love to have that I lay down my life for my friends. There was no more love. He didn't have any more love than he had to offer. And he had all the love of the Father in him. And he said, the only thing I can do left to do is to give my very own life. And whoever doesn't receive me then, their heart is so hardened that God, can't, with all his love, can't even break it. What a sad picture. What a sad picture. Look what it means, though, to be loved of the Father. To think that the Father would go to that extreme just to change one individual's heart concerning him. Well, we go on here now in the 13th chapter and we begin to read. Let's start with verse 2. Jesus dealing with his own, his 12. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. It would do you good to note that he, Satan, put this thought in his heart. Satan put this thought in Judas' heart to betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now you are about to read about some things that will stagger your mind when you begin to realize that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Jesus being God manifest in the flesh washes the feet of his disciples. He comes down in the form of a servant and now performs the duty of a slave to his own twelve. Jesus had the right to stand in authority over them 
and to rule over them. But before his departure and in his dealings with his twelve, instead of taking reign and lordship over them, he becomes a slave to them. Now it's staggering to think about this, that if Jesus were to appear to us in this assembly right now, girded with his towel, and walked up to each one of us and said, take off your shoes, I want to wash your feet. Probably, probably the most reaction we would get would be like Peter. Not me, Lord. I don't want you to wash my feet. Not that I don't want you to or, you know. But you're God. I'm just a little old me. And you want to wash my feet? See, that was for the slave. That was the slave's responsibility. That was a servant's responsibility. A hired hand. What does it mean to be loved of the Father? He loves you so much that He even wash your feet. Just to show you that He loves you. That's humility. Think about that. Let's read it. Let's read it. He rises from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded Himself. After that, He pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou now knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only. But also my hands and my head, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth, to save, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? Do you know what I have done to you? And I think we can all really try to answer that question in our heart. Do you really know what he did to his disciples when he washed their feet? I mean, these are some things that stagger the mind. Can you see God appearing in glory? Even in the person of Jesus Christ, stooping as low to wash a person's foot, to wash their feet, just to show his love for them, and also to show his humility. Now, Jesus says something here that's very important. 13. You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, part of the reason why Jesus did this was because if you remember, James and John were arguing among themselves, the disciples were, concerning who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and who would sit at his right hand and who would sit on his left. And Jesus said unto him that the one that would be greatest would be the one that would be servant of all. Do you know what he was saying? Now, think about it. 
he showed right here by this example that he was the servant of all. Who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Jesus. I said Jesus will be. Because he was the servant of all. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Everybody's trying to be first. Everybody's trying to get, you know, best. But he said, shoot for the, low, for the least. Shoot to be the servant of all. And if you know this and do this, you'll be happy. Don't try to stand out there in the front and just say, look what I did or whatever. He said, when, even when you come into a feast, sit in the back. Don't try to be acknowledged. Sit in the back. Just stay in the background. Let everybody else get involved in all the, you know, glamour and, and that sort of thing. He said, you just be the last. And if you be the last, you shall be the first. So Jesus was really saying to all of us, if I, being Lord and Master, humble myself to wash your feet, my disciples, who I am Lord over, I do this as an example unto you that you, being brothers and sisters in the Lord, should follow this example. Now, he didn't mean literally. What he was saying, we should serve one another and esteem each other more highly than ourselves. We are not self-seekers, but we seek the best of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Well, Jesus did this also, not only to the eleven, but also to Judas, who would betray him. Now, remember, he's dealing with the heart of Judas at this moment. Not that he's not concerned about the other eleven. He is but right now he is mainly dealing with the heart of Judas. Because remember, Judas was also one of his disciples that saw many signs and wonders and was involved in, in performing many signs and wonders in his name. They all went together and did miracles in his name, right? And right now Jesus knows that the heart of Judas. But you see, other people look at Judas and they begin to get upset with him and etc. Cetera, et cetera. But Jesus didn't have that attitude towards Judas. Jesus, if he loved the world unto the end, you better believe, I'll show you in Scripture that he loved Judas unto the end. Unto the very end. You say, what's the end? When your heart gets so far away from God that he can no longer deal with it. See, there comes a time when an indiv in an individual's life. I don't know what that cutoff time is. But I know there comes a time when the Spirit of God will not strive with man forever. And there comes a time that the Spirit of man becomes so hardened that even if Jesus were to die and raise from the dead again, they wouldn't believe it. Even if they would raise Lazarus from a tomb, they wouldn't believe. And when that point comes, God cannot deal with that spirit any longer. He gives them up. But he still loves them. Let, let's read it and I'll show it to you. Look at the next verse, verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, what he's actually saying here. At this time to his disciples is the one that's going to betray him is eating bread with him. Now, eating bread with an enemy, according to Eastern customs, made the two people that were eating together friends. And in that friendship, each party had a, had a right to the protection, to protection and rights and privileges towards one another. Now, because Judas was there and sat down to eat with them, an enemy of Jesus sat there and sat down at that supper to eat with them. It was a worse and more grave sin than what most people think. It made it even worse. 
He sat down to eat with Jesus as an enemy, but eating together and breaking bread together meant that even though you were enemies, you now become friends. And he was saying, but he's lifted up his heels against me. It's like a, a horse. Maybe somebody has a horse, I don't know, on your farm. And you go out there and you're the one that's providing the food. And you go out there to feed your horse. And, and, and while you're feeding, in the process of feeding your horse, he kicks up his heels and hits you. Well, you're the one that's feeding, but yet he kicks up his heels against you. And Jesus is saying the same thing. The one that's eating bread with me has kicked up his heels against me. I'm the one that's given him and fed him the word of life. Remember what Peter said? Only you have the words of eternal life. I have shown him the love of the Father, and he's even eating bread with me, and yet he's kicking up his heels against me. Just as a horse would kick up his heels against the person that would be feeding him. Okay? Now, Jesus begins to uh, try to reach the heart of Judas under the end. Well, let's read on down here and we'll see it. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he, or you may believe that I am. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. All right. Another custom, when this is a morsel of bread, when they were sitting together to eat, such as a supper like that they were having, and they would take that wafer or take that morsel and dip it into the sauce and give it to a guest, whoever that person was that received it, received honor of the person of the house. So it was considered to be a great honor to receive that morsel of bread. Well, Jesus did it and gave it to Judas. And when he gave it to Judas, he was making a, the last appeal to the heart of Judas so that he could change his ways and giving him a chance to repent. For he knew his heart. And Judas knew what it meant to receive such an honor. But G Jesus couldn't get, reach his heart. He went into the end. That was as far as he could go. Now remember... Judas saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He saw all the miracles that took place. He even did miracles in his name. He went out, they went out, and he sent them out two by two, and they healed the sick and did all kinds of miracles and, you know, preached the gospel of the kingdom. But now here at the last, at this supper, after receiving such an honor as a guest, knowing what it meant and its significance, Judas still did not change his heart or change his mind. Look at the next verse. Remember I said, keep in mind, that Satan just put the thought in his heart. He gave him that thought. All right, look at this verse. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Satan entered into him. Satan entered into him. Satan, not the thought, Satan entered into him. That's apostasy. Satan entered 
into him. Possessed him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. See, beloved, Jesus couldn't do anything about it. He says, I've gone to the end. How far has he gone with us? How far will he go with us under the end? He'll go with any man under the end until that heart has completely been so hardened that he can no longer deal with that spirit. He'll go, I don't care if there's one ounce left, he'll go that way. He'll go that far. He'll go that length. That's how far he'll go. That's how much God loves us. The only time that he gives up on us, as you can see right here, is when one is so turned over to Satan that there's just no way he can do it. He couldn't go any further than to give his life for us. And if that's not enough, beloved, he can't go any further. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, let's read it. Thou doest quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. But some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then having received the sop went immediately out, and it was night. And you know the rest of the story. Well, did you notice that Jesus didn't jump up and down and begin to shout out that Judas was the one that was betraying him? I believe he, he spoke it to John and they kept it between themselves, but the other ones didn't know where he was going or what he was doing. And uh, he went off with Satan in his heart to go ahead and do the, that which Satan put in his heart to do. But God's love is so far-reaching and so great concerning our lives that no matter how far he has to go to deal with us, he'll do it. Even though Judas had gone already this far, he was still appealing to his heart. And when he found out he couldn't go any further, he had let him go. It's a sad thing to think that one, one so close to Jesus, that walked so close with Jesus, that saw what he saw with his eyes and heard what he heard with his ears, the word of life, that had the privilege of touching the garment of the Master and eating with him and fellowshipping with him. If I was living in that day, I wouldn't change the day I'm living in for anything. But if I was living in that day, can you imagine being one of the twelve to sit at the foot of the Master? To sit at His feet and listen to His words? John to lay his head on his bosom and to be comforted by His touch? Can you imagine the glory that was emanating from His very being? And the love and the compassion towards humanity that was just coming out of Him? And they had the privilege of being right there with him. Being that close and then turning his back. The mind can't even receive it. You can't even understand it. How could someone do such a thing? Satan first put the thought and then Satan entered in when God could no longer deal with him. Well, let's go on down to verse 31 now. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, 
and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go ye cannot come, so now I say unto you, He's saying the same thing to them. Where I'm going, you can't come right now. They didn't understand it. Let's go on. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at the different light that puts that scripture in. Sometimes you just read it out of context and just read it and say, that's the love commandment. But now we begin to see. Now we begin to understand the depths of that love. Exactly what he did. You say, how, well, how am I supposed to deal with this, you know, person or this friend that's always doing... Wash their feet. Jesus washed their feet. Go all that it takes to go. Go to the end. Under the end. Love them under the end. And he's saying here, I'm giving you a new commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, be a servant one toward another. And the love that he showed the world was awesome. But the love he showed to his own, one can't explain again with words. I mean, I'm just baffled right now. Just we talk about it. Can, I'll say it again. Can you imagine Jesus appearing? I mean, even, even at the marriage supper, you know who's going to serve us? I said, do you know who's going to serve us? Who? Jesus. Can you imagine him walking in this church right now? He wouldn't be bickering with people. He'd walk in and take your shoes off and wash your feet. That's what he did. And say, I'm your master. And if I've done that for you, then you ought to do it for one another. I can't even think of something like that. My mind can't grasp that. That he would come down from glory just to do that. But that's why he came. And now he's saying this commandment is your commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have this love one toward another. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Now, Peter, I'm on my way to bear the sin of the world. You can't follow me there. You can't do that. I only can do that. But after, you will follow me. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Look, I'll lay down my life for my sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now remember, Judas is already gone. He's speaking to his eleven, those that loved him. And he's speaking to them in an intimate way. Because these are the eleven. Your commandment is the commandment of love. What does it mean to have the Father love you? He begins right here. These are the most inspired, I believe, chapters in the Bible. or in the Gospels. Let's say it that way. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Look at what he says in this light now. He's saying to them when he's about to depart and to leave them. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Just because I'm going where you cannot come right now, don't let your heart be troubled about it. 
You can't come while I'm going. Only I can do this, Peter. Only I can do this, John, James, Philip. Right now you can't come with me. But don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, you've got to realize the setting here. He's done all these things. And if I had time to reiterate what we talked about this morning, uh, the raising up of Lazarus from the dead, the Jews believing on him, his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, everybody's hands with palm branches, uh, waving them and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And he goes on and on and on, and they're worshiping him and praising him. The Jews, are, the, the rulers and the leaders, they don't know what to do. The whole world's gone out after this man. He's shaken Judaism to its foundation. They don't know what to do. These events are taking place. I mean, the glory of these events. They're outstanding. Right after such a thing, he comes to his disciples and he washes their feet. They ate with him. What an honor to eat with the Son of the living God. Let alone he washed their feet. And now he says, I'm leaving you. Can you imagine the effect that had in their inner man? You're leaving us. Where are you going, Lord? Where I'm going, you can't come. But Lord, we followed you all these years and we can't come with you now. Where I'm going, you can't come. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. But don't let your heart be troubled. No wonder he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Yeah, Lord. Believe also in me. Then believe what I'm telling you now. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going. He's telling him where he's going. I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Now he's talking to his disciples, the eleven. That where I am... You may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come unto the Father. Boys, you're going to the Father. Can you see the light in their eyes and their faces? You're going to the Father. No man can come unto the Father but by me. No man. I'm making a way clear for you to come to the Father. He's the forerunner. Jesus made the way clear into the presence of the Father. And he says, you can't follow me here, but when I come back, when I come up from the grave, I'm going to make a way for you to follow me into the presence of the Father. A new day is coming. A day when men can also, in earth, enter into the presence of the Father. And that wall, that barrier, that separated man, that veil, is removed. And bless God, he says, I am making the way clear for you. Well, they still didn't understand him. Over here, Philip, Jesus says in verse 7, If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? 
Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you. Notice he's doing the same thing. He spoke to the Jews with the word and he, he showed them by the works. And he says, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, okay, your first benefit of being loved by the Father, number one, is you have a mansion in heaven. You have a heavenly mansion. One that will suit your every need and meet your every need. Every desire of your heart. He's made a dwelling place for you in heaven in glory. And there's a place for you. We should glory that our names are written in heaven. And in heaven, Jesus saw to it. See, he is a personal God. The Father is a personal God. He's got your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And he's got your mansion already picked out. He's got your dwelling place already established. He knows everything that's in your heart. He knows your heart's desire. And everything that's in, in your heart from A to Z that you want there will be there when you get there. That's what it means to have the Father God to be your Father and set His love upon you. You say down here on the earth, well, you know, boy, it'd be nice to have that house, but wouldn't it be nice to live in that place? Wouldn't it be nice to have this? Oh, that's just for a short time because, bless God, you are going to have whatever your heart desires when you get into glory. He is personal right down to the letter Z and anything you want will be there. Think about that. But he doesn't want you to wait till you get there because he goes on in here and he says, Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than he shall do because I'm going to the Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Never before has it been said to a man on the earth that you can ask the Father for anything in the name of Jesus and it will be granted unto you. Never was it said before that anybody on the earth can do the works of Jesus and greater works would you do because he's going to the Father. But now that the Father has set his love upon you, he said, these things shall be done. Next verse, if you love me, keep my commandments. Here's another thing. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. That's the Holy Ghost that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. What does it mean to be loved by the Father? The Spirit of God will come upon you to abide with you forever, to teach you about your heavenly Father and his love concerning you. That was a promise. That's a benefit for having the Father to set his love upon you. That would be part of it. Well, let's go on reading. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you in a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you shall see me. But you see me because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in the my Father, and you in me, and it's staggering, I in you. Now he goes on to say to these elect, eleven, that I'm going away, but when I go away... And come again, then you will follow me. There'll be a place for you. There'll be my name for you. The Spirit of God will come to you. And not only will you know that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, but you also are in us. We are one. To have His love set upon us means that we will be utterly one with God. Hallelujah. 
it staggers the mind. Then he says, And he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas is still asking questions. Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Now notice, he already manifested himself to the world, but the world didn't receive him, did they? But now he says, I'm going to manifest myself to those that do love me. Well, does it mean to have the Father's love set upon you? That he'll manifest himself to you. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He means that the Father will come into you and live in your heart. Jesus and the Father would come in the person of the Holy Ghost to make their dwelling place in you so that he cannot just love you from the outside like he did the Jews. But in this day, he will love you from within. He'll live in you. He'll become part of you and you part of him. Next verse. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. What's another benefit of having the Father's love set upon you? The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be left in your heart. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you, don't let your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. Then in the 15th chapter, in the first seven verses, Jesus talks about our utter oneness with the Father. I am the vine, and you are the branches, and my Father is the husbandman. In other words, we are so close together that just as there's no difference between the branch of the tree and the vine itself, so there is no difference between the Father, me, and you. We'll become one. Only you will be the fruit-bearing branch. I will be the life. See, we've been grafted into the tree of life. And he goes down to verse 7 and says these astounding words. What does it mean to have the Father's love set upon you? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And what he is inferring is, that since I have laid down my life for you, you are to lay down your life for one another. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. What does it mean to have the Father's love set upon us? Are you ready? You are the friend of God. You have become a friend of God. What does a friend mean? A friend means a covenant partner, a covenant relationship. You are God's friend. Do you have any friends in this world? Just realize this one fact. God's love is set upon you and you set your love upon him. You become a friend of God. You are his friend. He says, I no more call your servants. I call you my friend. He's your friend. Say that with me. God is my friend. The Father is my friend. I'm friends with the Father God. Hallelujah.
What does that mean? What does that mean to be a friend with God? Sometimes I think we've never tried to just realize it or envision it. You're a friend of God. You're not an enemy. You're not a stranger. You're not under the covenant. You are a blood covenant partner and friend of the living God. Not a servant, but a friend. Hallelujah. That's what it means. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. You are a friend of God. Well, you're also chosen. Let's read on. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now you are chosen out of the world. The Father wanted to choose a nation unto himself out of the world. He called it the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation. When he could not fulfill that which he desired in the nation of Israel, the, the natural Israel, he had to develop a spiritual Israel out of the loins of Abraham and through the blood covenant, and we now are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar chosen people to show forth, to show forth the excellencies, the glory, the power, the praise, the love of God. We are the chosen ones now. We are the chosen ones. We are the ones that he has set his love upon. Us. That's who he's talking about here. He set his love upon us. What did he do for the Jew? When he set his love upon them, he said, I will love you. I will bless you. I will multiply you. He says, I'll take sickness and disease away from the midst of you. There'll be none burned in the land, etc., etc." You go back there and read it. I'll multiply everything, the fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your cattle. Oh, everything he says I'll do for you. That was a, a natural people, but you are the spiritual seed of Abraham. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, royal nation, and so on and so forth. How, how much more? How much more? Now, being sons and daughters of the Most High, will he do for us? How much more? The new covenant is how much more? So the Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises, and under the new covenant, it's how much more? How much more will he do for us? He already gave it to Jesus, which we'll see in a minute. Well, now we go down to chapter 16. And remember, he's still saying this to them after the comment that I'm going where you cannot come. He's still speaking to them before he goes to Calvary. He talks about the works that he did and they didn't believe on him. He says, but now he's going to get down to the fact that they do believe. You guys do believe. I'm not, he's not talking to those that don't believe any longer. He dealt with them and he went to the end with them and they wouldn't believe. But go to the 23rd chapter of the, or 23rd verse of the 16th chapter, 23rd verse of the 16th chapter. And Jesus reveals what kind of relationship we have with the Father God because of it. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, 
For the Father himself loveth you. No longer then will there be a need that I have to be here and pray for you. But the day is coming, and that day, because I've spoken these things unto you, and look what he said, the Father himself loveth you because you've loved me and believed that I came out from God. We're not talking about a people that did not believe that he came out from God. We're not talking about a people that don't love Jesus. You are a people that love Jesus. You are a people that believe that he came out from God. Therefore, he said, the Father himself loveth you, and there's no need that I pray for you. He said, but you have the liberty to call upon the Father, to call upon the throne, to enter into his presence in my name, and whatsoever you ask of your Father, he will give it unto you because you believe on me. And now his love is set upon you. As a matter of fact, now the only way you can be acquainted with your Father is through the Word. And you can just hear the words come back of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or drink, nor for your body what you're going to put on. He went on to say, The life is more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, they toil not, neither do they spin nor gather in the barns. But your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than that? That's his attitude towards you. Your Father's attitude towards you. Are you not much better than they? Which one of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? Why take your thought for raiment? He said, Behold, consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin, how they grow. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed such as one of these. Not at all. If God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and the is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore, take no thought for your life what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to put on. For after all these things did the Gentiles seek your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. Now that's what Jesus was inferring right here. Whatever you ask your Father, he'll give you. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things. All these things he knows you have need of. You ask and he'll give them unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Take no thought. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. The fishing of the day is the evil thereof. And then Jesus said in Matthew 7 11, If you then, being evil, can give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, your heavenly Father, how much more, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts unto his children? And what he was saying, same thing James said in the first chapter, every good, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of life with whom there is no variableness neither shadow of turning. In other words, now that his love is set upon you, now that you're in a relationship, a friendship with the Father God, there's no need for me to pray for you. All you've got to do is pray to the Father in my name and whatsoever you ask, he will give it to you that the Father may be glorified in the Son, because the Father himself loveth you, because you believed on me. That's the relationship he's saying you have with the Father. That's what it means to be loved of the Father. Well, we said the word so much, how much more, is to be emphasized. And I think right now we can see that. How much more is based on Romans 8.32. If we can tie, if one scripture could sum up everything that we've been talking about concerning the Father's love towards us, now that we are children, 
now that we are friends of God. Jesus, or, or Paul said in Romans 8.32, if God spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him? We're not a people that's without Christ. We are not a people that did not believe on him. We are not a people that rejected the Son of God. But we are a people that believe he came out of from God. We are a people that have received him as Lord and Savior. In other words, with him means he's in us. If God loved us so much while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us, how much more shall he deliver you from the wrath that is to come? If you, being dead in trespasses and sins, but God, rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, wants to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us now, how much more with him will he freely give us all things? So now that Jesus has been given for us, and we do believe on him, how much more will he with him freely give us all things? In other words, if God be for you, who could be against you? Nobody. Who could successfully defeat you? Nobody. God is for you. God is with you. God is in you. You can just hear him whisper, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That you may boldly say, The Father is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Jehovah is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jehovah is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fear thou not, my son, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy father. I will help thee, yea, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I'm your shepherd, you should never want. He'll make us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He'll restore our soul and lead us in every path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though we're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear not any evil. For he's with us. His word and his spirit are comforting us. There's a table prepared before us in the presence of all of our enemies. He's anointed our head with oil and our cups are running over. And surely his goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our life and we'll dwell in this house forever. 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 Forever we'll dwell there. Can you see it? And because we set our love upon him, he says, I will deliver you. I will set you on high because you know my name. I will be with you, he said. You call upon me, I'll answer you. I'll be with you in trouble. I'll honor you. I'll deliver you and honor you. And then with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation because I am your father. That's what he's saying to us. See? That's what he's speaking to our hearts. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto your Father God. And what did he say happened? With thanksgiving and my peace that passes all understanding will fill your heart. It'll protect it, guard it, and restore your mind. He's your Father. He loves you. He set his love upon you. It's upon you to stay. The reason why he does anything that he does for you is because he loves you. What does it mean to be loved by the Father? Well, you know, 
BJ did it again. He hugged me around the neck. Jason did it again. He rubbed me on the arm, the hand. Lisa did it again. I knew what it felt like. But what is it like, friends, to have Jesus wash your feet? What is it like to have Jesus wash your feet? It's a slap in the face to think that he would humble himself to a mere man to wash his feet when he's about to betray him. But he doesn't want to meet his children's needs. I said it's a slap in the face to the father's heart to even think he would stoop as low to wash the feet of an enemy who is about to betray him to be crucified and then not meet the needs of the one who loves him when he said he would. Let's all stand together. The Father himself loveth you. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.